And I, I don't think it's something that can be taught in, you know, the classroom or that your your pop can say, hey, be resilient, kiddo. Um, because I think it's taught through experience and through a little bit of pain. Again, I wish there was a better word, but a little bit of that. I mean, you got to try something where it's resilient, which in, it, it requires encountering a challenge. Welcome, everybody, to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm Ashley Carson. Join in my journey as we discuss resiliency, values, and leadership with friends, peers, and leaders. So uh, with me today is David Traub, president of Top Line Counters. I'm really excited to interview him for their Resiliency Theory podcast and just hear a little bit from his perspective on values, resiliency, and how those relate to leadership. So David, why don't you take a couple minutes and tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Ashley. I appreciate the chance to talk about this stuff. So um, yeah, I I think the resiliency side is a great topic just because leadership and people has always been sort of this fat passion that I found. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an engineer. I thought that was the coolest stuff in the world, design rocket ships and all that. And um, I was like that nerdy kid in high school. Um, and then as I started doing more of that side, I realized that uh, it's actually kind of boring and numbers are static and uh, it's just not as fun as the people side of stuff. And I kind of became obsessed with that um, that side of the world and working with people and designing systems that people interact with the structures that determine how they, they do things. So it um, naturally kind of fell into these leadership roles and then love talking about leadership, learning about leadership in just all the different ways that, that it interacts. Um, grew up in a little small town in, in Washington, Port Angeles, and uh, just got to see all sorts of different people from different environments as I've been blessed in my life to, to travel around the world and interact with different organizations. So it's kind of fun to see um, what the world's like. Yeah, great, great. I love hearing uh, individuals' stories and just how, you know, what 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 gets them excited and then what gets them to their current role and, and just the connections between all of that. And so I'm really looking forward to spending more time with you uh, during our, our podcast. So um, before we dive in, I, I just like to remind the audience and and really share what what the resiliency theory is all about. So the theory that I'm trying to prove and really what I'm curious to learn and 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 learn from others and other leaders is is there a resiliency quotient and sometimes said differently and, and you've heard me say this is is there a values equation? And so what I'm really curious to learn is are there certain values that correlate more so to one being resilient? Uh, and I don't know. And, and I think what's been really fascinating about these conversations is just hearing from different individuals and different leaders and what their values are and, and, and learning and hearing the trends that exist in, in some of those personal stories and in those values. And so, you know, we'll spend a lot of time today talking about values, we'll dive into a bit of resiliency, and then looking forward to seeing how it's been applied in your leadership style. So to start, David, uh, I'd love to hear, what are your top three to five values? It's such a great question. Like when you sent over the, the question, I was going, what, what are the values? And, and 
and trying to put names onto them and, and tie them down just in and of itself is a great exercise. Um, I, the first one that I really just honed in on right away was this, the fidelity, this idea of, of just uh, integrity, honesty, kind of all rolled into to it. And it's not just fidelity to the things that you, you know, meeting the obligations, you say what you're going to do, but fidelity to yourself, um, being that the, the person that you are, not a false person off of it. Um, and, and in line with that, also the meeting of the obligations, saying what you're going to do and then doing it and following through on that side, um, which, you know, you just open a newspaper and you see just a total failure of that. It feels like mm-hmm. across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, a, to me, it's, it's always been a, a really an important value. Um, this idea that people are naturally good is just an ingrained value with me. It's one that burned me time and time again, mm-hmm. but I just think naturally people are good people. Um, and then lastly, this, the idea of a, a growth mindset. And we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. the idea that people are constantly, you can constantly improve yourself. You can always, you can always go up. You can always solve the problem, come up with something new and just keep changing that nothing's really quite fixed in the world. Um, I think those, those are the really big ones, right? The, the fidelity, the growth mindset, um, and the idea that people are really good. Nice. Thanks for sharing that, David. Uh, I know you and I've had different conversations over the last couple of years just around growth mindset. And and also, I've shared my theories with you and thoughts on people. I, I, I use a little bit different term of holding people in positive regard. And that's really the concept yeah. that you know we are all doing the best we can given our circumstance and given, given the scenario. And I think similar to you, I've experienced... Uh, scenarios where I have been burned by that mindset, but I still continue to approach day to day from that lens because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I'd love to just learn, you know, when you think about your values, fidelity, considering everyone is naturally good and, and, and this idea of a growth mindset, where do you think these values came from? Like what's the history or the origin of them? Yeah. Again, you just got these awesome questions. I think the you know, the fidelity side, I was part of this youth group when I was younger um, called Demolay. And fidelity is like, it's this core teaching of it, which is such, I don't know, it feels like an outlier looking back on it. Um, I always describe Demolay as like Boy Scouts, but for suits. Um, you're doing, instead of camping, you're doing more like public speaking and fundraising and events. And um, they have all these these virtues, they call them. Uh and fidelity is like this this key one. So it's constantly just you just hear it over and over. And it's like a twelve year old kid. It's like okay, it's no big deal. Fidelity, woohoo! It's this thing. Um, and then you start to grow older, and you have these relationships with people. And and whether it's the relationship I have with my wife or my friends, or all these things. When you you really start to think with intentionality about what fidelity means, um, I know it's just changed the relation the the relationship. You build it on that side of it. Um, it's weird. My wife and I will have frank conversations about fidelity and honesty and and just what that means and it creates a really strong relationship and i guess i've been when you get positive results out of that you just start to lean into it more and more um grew up in a a family where um you know like a lot of folks my parents split um and so you saw that lack of would be i guess the natural term of fidelity in a relationship Mm -hmm. and just said okay i don't want to do that um and so to to lean uh, more heavily into it and then in the the workplace you see examples of people that win and they don't necessarily win by doing the, the right thing. 
um, they win through whatever means. You could use the baseball one, right? Where everyone's talking right now about people stealing signs. And mm-hmm. so they won the world, but they stole the signs of the other team. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you really want to win when that's what you've got to do to win? And I don't know. I just, it's, it's, it keeps coming back to, nope, I'd rather, um, yeah, you'd rather come in second place, but do it the honest way. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's just going to eat at you constantly with it. Yeah, that's great. Do you have uh, examples or or when you think about, you know, this sort of inherent value around people being naturally good? Did that stem from some life experience? Did that stem from some work experience or some relationship? Is there anything there that's coming up for you? Um, I, I think so. Um, the first time I, I got this this job leading a, a department um, I had had no training on how to lead the group I'd had no um, background with it. it kind of fell into it by happenstance I think it's sort of like where someone says okay who volunteers and everyone else steps back and you're all of a sudden standing up front and uh, in hindsight I don't I I was like I said woefully uh, ill-prepared for it. it's a surprise that um, I wasn't fired the first day and so I tried jumping into it. And when you put an engineer in charge of something, it's just, it's a disaster waiting to happen because it's all the you know, process and this, and this is how it works in theory. And, you know, the difference between theory and practice is pretty large. Um, and I had uh, all these employees, it's light manufacturing. And so you get this wide gamut of people mm-hmm. and uh, they just weren't necessarily um, treated as if they were these um, outstanding characters. It was, a lot of temp work folks that would come in. And so it was just like, well, they're going to come in and out and just tell them what to do and make them get the job done. And it, there wasn't this like looking at people from an investment side. It was these mm. um, just you know, their tools, right? Just yeah. get, the, get the job done. And I, it wasn't, I don't think any sort of intentionality that that was the outlook. It was just, here's these people just, they're going to, they're going to do the job, especially temp workers. There's this vibe. I mean, just the, the thing of, oh, it's just a temp, whatever. They're going to do this thing. Right. Um, well, that department fell way behind. It was just like horribly chaotic. And uh, so at the end of the day, I'd be done with a lot of my stuff and we'd be boxing stuff up to ship it out. And I'd go out and help box and load the truck and load the truck. And as you get to know these folks, you get to realize it's not, you know, each one of them has all these hopes and dreams and aspirations. And you got, you know, I remember this guy, Derek, he, he uh, coached high school basketball after work every single day because his grandkids were involved with this. And you got Kyle and his background, all these different people and, and the stories that came into it. And you start talking about that. And then you hear about these awesome ideas that they have, like, well, you know, we're loading it up this way. If we only did it this other way, it'd be twice as easy. It's like, well, why aren't we doing it that way? Well, I don't know. Well, let's do that. Let's try it. I mean, you're doing the job. You've got these great ideas. And you start to enable people and you see these amazing results. And it's just like, wow, from both sides, right? There's this idea that they had untapped potential that we didn't take advantage of. Um, And the second side that they, the, the, the employees just were sort of like, yeah, there's whether it's lack of engagement or any of the corny things you hear about, there was no, ah, this impetus to improve. Um, And I got really lucky, right? Because I trusted those folks Mm -hmm. and um, probably because I had no other choice. I was just failing horribly at it and it worked. Like all of a sudden, all these ideas start going, the morale changes and everywhere we start kicking butt. And so those wins right away start to go, okay, hey, we're going to trust people. We're going to, we're going to do it this way and enable folks, enable the people on the ground to make the decisions and trust that you know, even if they won't make the decision the way that I would do it, they'll make one that's close enough and we can trust them to enable it. And they're going to feel so much 
better about um, about what they're doing if, if they have a sense of agency, I guess. Yeah, I love that, that term, sense of agency. Um, I, I, I really appreciate and I, this concept and, and your vulnerability and this, the idea of being an engineer put in a manager role. And I'm curious, David, what, what really led you to take those risks, right? This wasn't your background. You weren't a manager. Was there something that was driving you to take the risks and empower those individuals and ask those questions? Um, and was it modeled to you? So just like, how did you, you know, what was it if you can identify that really put you in that place where you're like, I am going to try this and whether or not it works, I'm going to, I'm going to try it anyways. You know, there's a little bit of a survival to it. Um, If we back up a a little bit, the reason that I, I got that opportunity to lead that group, Mm -hmm. um, I'd been, you know, helping as a support staff for it. And one night I was kind of frustrated. I thought we could do this better. It, the way we're doing it doesn't make sense. And I, I had one of those Jerry Maguire nights where I like wrote the manifesto, right? Here's how we're, we can do business this way. And uh, I just typed up this whole thing. It, I think it was in a big PowerPoint presentation. I drew how the, the shop could be laid out. I drew, here's the workflow. Here's how everyone's job descriptions would change. And you know, this uh, and no one should listen to me with their, like in this organization at the time. It's just me one night writing this whole thing out. Well, I, uh, I showed it to um, the person running that division the next day and they said, yeah, 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 it'll never work and kind of went on its way. But uh, my boss at the time, I said, Hey, I think this is a pretty good idea. And it kind of floated around. And I think the the operations manager at the time, it said something along the lines. Well, if you think it's so smart, go for it, go figure it out. And uh, the, the situation just worked out that for health reasons, the person running it had had to leave anyways. And so they needed someone to do it and they had some, kid who thought that his little piece of paper could solve the world and so they just drop you into it but it, you know a, a little bit of happenstance for how it got there a little bit of this idea of always improving mm-hmm. but then once i was into it it was this survivalist mode like okay if you know i don't want to fail at this so let's try different things and what i was doing was not working mm-hmm. um you, you try okay here's my perfect system right i have this manifesto this is how we're going to run things and it just backfires backfires and backfires you know, no, there's, you know, what else could we be possibly doing to get better? And then you hear the ideas from the folks and, the, and they started to, um, things started to turn around. Um, yeah. At that point. You end up looking closer. Yeah. I, I, what, what I'm hearing is you were given a sense of empowerment by that boss and yeah. an allowance to fail or fail forward, however you want to refer to that. And, and really he trusted you, which then what's cool in that, story and what I heard in all of that story was then you putting that sense of empowerment in others and allowing them opportunities to to give creative ideas or new solutions and and, and still setting them up in a way where it's okay if it doesn't work because we can try something new. I'd love sort of pulling that out of that story, David. Yeah, we we talk about it all the time now with the the exec teams that I lead that like if you've got an idea, try it. Mm-hmm. Like if it works we, we know faster. And if it doesn't work, wonderful. We've solved the debate. We know it doesn't work. Right. Um, and now in the time that we could have spent debating it, we can try another idea and we can try another one. So this idea, this um, bias towards action, I've heard people call it yeah. um, off that. I think that's really important inside of there. So many people just want to talk about all these, these different ideas. And, and honestly, when people are debating ideas, both ideas will probably work. It all comes down to the execution. So execute one of them, really focus on 
on being a better executor. It's probably a little off topic, but it's just another side. I just love this idea of constantly trying change, constant, constant improvement. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that while it might be, it's not totally off topic because ultimately part of what I want out of this is some shared learning. Right. And so by you demonstrating and talking about your empowerment by that manager and then how you've now imparted that onto your leaders is a really, it's a, it's a true testament to who you are as, as a leader of your organization. And, and one thing that you've said a couple of times, which I think is really funny, just knowing you, uh, and, and not like funny in a jokester way, but, uh, that you're failing miserably. I've never known you to fail miserably at all. And of course, I've never worked with you, but just in my experience with you, you are really a consummate leader. And I know you're constantly thinking about people from a really good perspective. And I don't see that side of you, David. So I was sort of chuckling when you were saying that. Well, thank you. I, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. Well, let's take it back to your values. And before we, before I pivot to my next question, I just want to make sure uh, we don't miss this concept of growth mindset and just, you know, similar question. Was there some specific experience that you had that really form- formulated this idea of growth mindset in you? I, I think a lot of it was in looking back on the times when I'd succeeded, which is, God, that sounds silly. But like when I'd hit a spot when I, I was failing at something um, and I remember the second sort of management position that I got, I just, I wasn't getting the, that same, uh, the same wins. And so I had to look back, okay, what worked beforehand? And really it was this idea that you're just going to um, grow is, is now it, the, the concept that I'd have growing into it, have this growth mindset. But it was this idea of adaptability, like just trying stuff and learning stuff and not saying, okay, this is my recipe for what works and I'm always going to implement it. But instead, that I'd had success in the past with being adaptable and saying, mm-hmm. I need to learn how to do this. So we're just going to learn it. There's perfect. I don't know how to do it yet, but we're going to try it. And we can learn. I won't be the best at it, but I can figure it out. Um, and, and maybe some of that comes to the engineering side. Look, my father, my grandfather, they're just these incredible mechanics that could take a look at a machine and be broken and they just fix it. Um, and it, it requires you to just say, okay, I'm going to figure it out. There's no manual for it. You know, my, grandfathers that you're not going to go online and look on the internet and have a YouTube video for how to take apart a diesel engine. You're just going <laughs> to start taking it apart and you're going to look at what doesn't look right. You're going to put it together. It's not going to work. You're going to take it apart again. You're going to try and you're just going to learn as you go into it. And I think um, growing up with those sort of mentors and then um, diving into a more systems world, you start to attack it that same way and just saying, you know, we're, we're not, fixed in who we are, what our knowledge is, what the system we live in is, we're just going to keep improving it mm-hmm. um, and adapting. But I think there's also this corollary with, um, and this is just another just buzzword, but that lean manufacturing side, the Toyota production system mm-hmm. seems like a really weird pivot into the, you know, or a plug to the manufacturing world that I love, but that's the basis of, of, of lean manufacturing as well, is this idea that you're going to constantly improve. That every person has the opportunity to push the organization forward, have these great ideas and help them build. Um, and everyone thinks of it as, you know, Toyota is like, it's all about efficiency and this perfectly rehearsed process that perfectly flows. It's not it at all. It's all about the people and enabling them to drive that process change. Um, the cultural side of it. 
And so I think when I finally made that connection, that helped reinforce the growth mindset outlook as well. Um, this idea that people can, people can absolutely blow you away with what they can do. Yeah, it's been my experience. You know my background, but I lead a people strategy team. And it's really been my experience. If you can help individuals understand their strengths and weaknesses and, and you and you empower them that they, they really can. I mean, in similar terms, like just blow your mind in, in the ability and their capabilities. Right. And, and I, I'm constantly impressed with people's innovative ideas and just creativity to continue to, you know, drive either their function forward or even in, in my world, like driving our business forward. So, um, I share, I share a very similar mindset with you. Um, so now let's pivot just a little bit. I'd love for you to think of a time when your values were challenged. And if you could uh, walk us through that example, and then how did you respond to it? And, and also, what would you have done differently? But, you know, the people are good one is constantly, um, that's one that'll just constantly challenge you. Right, because there's as much as I want to believe that the whole world is that there's good people everywhere and that everyone is good. That there's um, there's just folks that don't meet that that criteria. There's folks that whether it's the data or they they just are looking at the world a little bit differently. Their perception of of what good is different. I don't know if, if there's a theory for that. I I really have a hard time believing that there's just you know in their soul bad people. I think everyone thinks that they're good. Um, but I had some folks, you know, I, I went to this company, um, where right before I started, they were, uh, starting to look at putting cameras up throughout the entire building. And they said, well, we're putting up these cameras because we don't trust any of the employees not to steal stuff. Oh, wow. Um, this is in the manufacturing world and you're saying, right. okay, so we're going to put up these visual reminders for everybody every single day that we don't trust them, but we're going to tell them you should trust us and, you know, trust that. You know, we're taking this company in the right direction and trust me, but I don't trust you. So don't worry about it. So I said, no, we're not, we're not going to put up these cameras. It just doesn't fit with this value of, of trusting that people are good. Let's get rid of those bad apples. And then the next weekend we had stuff stolen. Oh, no. And it's just like, uh, and you, you just feel this taken advantage of, especially the close timing to saying, nope, we're not going to put up right. cameras. We're, we're going to trust our folks. This is the the thing. And I'm the new guy here too, right? I'm the new guy. This is the way we should do it. Oh, and then here's this big public, basically, denouncement of my theory that people are naturally good. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's any sort of um, massive lesson here of like, well, and then I changed my mind and people aren't good. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of leaned into it and said, look, okay, we are going to make sure that our team is good. And if we, if there's a bad apple out there, let's get rid of that bad apple, but let's make our team good. We need to trust that these folks are good. Um, and I think seeing the reaction to um, that, that incident, that our reaction was not, okay, never mind. We're going to put up cameras. Everyone's bad. But, you know, leaning a little bit more in and saying, no, people, our folks are good. There's, there's something that happened. Let's figure out, you know, we don't know if it was one of our employees. It could have been somebody else. It could have been um, any of these situations. And if it was one of our employees, okay, we need to figure out what happened and, and move on from it. But we're still going to trust that our folks are good. And we're just going to, we're going to try. And 
I still don't know if that's incredibly naive. I mean, our company's that company's mid-size. It's it's in this realm where the the stakes of of me being horribly wrong again are not that large, but it still kind of eats at me, right? Is 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 that the right move to make with it? Mm-hmm. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trusting folks because the the other alternative, right, is just to say, nope, we don't trust anyone. We're just going to lock it down. And we've seen, you know, the the companies where retails, you've got folks that they'll search people on their way out of the building to make sure they're not, that the employees aren't stealing any of their goods. Right. Like, well, these are the people you trust to run your company, but you're going to frisk them on the way out. I just, I, I can't accept a world where that's the norm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's honorable. And I, I think that's important for all of us as leaders, right? We, we do, we have to trust and we have to also demonstrate that trust to our employees. And, and I really like in that experience, some of the lessons learned were, you know, like leaning in and acknowledging that this did happen. And we know that we have to still trust our employees, inherently believe that people are good. And, and if it turns out it was an employee, then there's different remedial actions that can be taken to really make the team good and a really strong team. So, you know, I think all of us sort of struggle with, different dilemmas around trust, whether it has to do in your world around stealing stuff or my, my world around making the right decisions, having to do with patients. I think ultimately what serves us well is by leading from that place of believing people are good and trusting our employees and trusting they're going to make the right decision because we've also helped them get there and set them up for success. Not us personally, but the managers that support them or the employees that they work with. So, I mean, ultimately I would say, you know, those are always, that's always a really important value that I think leaders should lead, lead from. Um, you know, uh, so I want to, I, ha- I have a question for you and it, it goes back to the theory that I'm trying to prove. Um, again, is there a resiliency quotient or said differently, a values equation? Do you think, um, when you think about values and resiliency, do you think that there's a direct correlation between values and resiliency? Yes. You know, not just because I'm, I'm going to be on your podcast and say, you can talk about this resilience idea, but I, I do, I think that there is. And it, there's probably a mix of, of values that drive drive that resiliency because I think resiliency is an outcome of it, right? It's not something where you say, I'm going to have my value is resiliency. No, you're, that's something that's, it's who you are. It's, it's, or it's the, it's your resiliency. Gosh, that doesn't sound too um, elegant, but it's, it, it's more the outcome. Whereas the values, who you are, it kind of drives what that, that piece is. And so you think about what values do drive that, like a determination, an idea that you can get through things, a growth mindset, I just think is huge to that, um, right? Because if you run into a problem, if you think of it just resiliency against a single problem, if you run into a problem and you have this fixed mindset, you're going to go, yep, I can't do it. And you're just going to move on. You're just going to go to the path of the least resistance. You're going to move elsewhere. Um, whereas if you have this outlook instead that, no, I can get through this. I, w- I want to reach this goal. I can I can, I can do it, mm-hmm. then, then you're going to show naturally some more resiliency. I think having this uh, placing, placing value on delayed gratification is in there a little bit with resiliency. And in today's world, there's, everybody's about the, the instant gratification. If I can't get it right now, it's what it worth is it? And folks that place a higher value on delayed gratification, the things that you got to put in the work now and the values are multiplied later, 
I think there it's tied in there somewhere with with the resiliency side, just to keep pushing past when you see these results. We we talk about with sales guys a lot. We'll see if this ends up. We'll try to tie it back to it. But these sales guys who who might be rewarded off commission or sales, um, they go out and they're trying to work and they're trying to work. And it, there's this delay between the actions that they're taking and bringing on the customer and bringing up these big, bringing and building up their sales. Um, and so the sales guys that fail are the ones that don't have that resiliency, that sense of delayed gratification paying off for them. So they go, well, I've made all these sales calls and everybody said no. Well, it's not going to work. You need to keep going to it. And then after a while, you see this, this wave follow through of the results. And the more disconnect there is between the action that they take and getting the reward, the difference between those two, the effort and the reward, um, really that idea of, of delayed gratification, the harder it is for people. But if, if they can get through it, if they show that sense of resiliency, the, the, they're going to be more successful. Yeah. Um, so just to reflect back what I what I think uh, I was hearing, because I, I hadn't really thought about it this way. And I really appreciate your insights here. But it sounds like for people who... Who, who don't, who aren't reliant on like that immediate gratification and, and appreciate and can respect the idea of delayed gratification can help to build or strengthen the resiliency muscle. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because if, if you only go after the instant gratification, there's no resiliency required. You open the package, got my prize next, right? It, it's Instant gratification, I'd say, is nearly the opposite of resiliency in some definitions, right? Depending on how you look at the resiliency side. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that ability to push through that, to, to invest now to get something later. Yeah, I like that. Invest now to get something later. Um, so this kind of takes me to another question that, I, that I'd love to explore with you when you're kind of thinking about this delayed gratification versus like that need and inherent drive for instant gratification. Um, do you think that resiliency can be taught? Uh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you even reflect on myself as in, I was not a very um, resilient uh, kid and teenager. Um, so, you know, looking introspectively, something would be hard. Okay, next we'll do something else. And I was kind of lucky that a lot of stuff sometimes felt easy. So I just do the easy stuff, just get the hard stuff. And I think where, where I got, better in life was when I really started to, to, you know, they'd say put in the work or what are all the different phrases for really what we're talking about resiliency. And so the question is what changed that? And I think I had some, some great bosses. One of my, my favorite boss, my first day on the job, I was supposed to call and check on a permit. That was my job. I was going to call. Um, okay. Where's the status of this permit? He said, here's the number, go do it. And so I called and said, what's the status of the permit? And he said, uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, I'll call you later. And I said, okay. And I hung up and my boss had been listening to the phone call from his office and he came out and said, what, what did you do? So I called him. He said, he didn't know. So that was it. He said, no, you got to like, he's just trying to put you, you got to get to the bottom of that answer. And in fact, you need to get the date. You need to get that date pulled for it. And like, huh? It's like, you're calling him back right now. And I didn't want to call him. I was like, oh, awkward. I don't know. I, I even had this thing about calling people for some reason. And I'm like, hey, I guess I'll, I'll call this guy back. I said, I just talked with you, but I, I really need that date. And he said, okay, fine. Let me pull it up. And he opened it and said, okay, it'll be done next week. I'm like, wow, that was an easy win. I'm like, hey, could we get that done earlier? Uh, no. And I'm looking at my boss and he's staring at me. And I'm like, I don't want to let this guy down. Well, you know, I really need it next week. Okay, we'll get it next week. It was done. 
to hang up and it's like, wow, that was, that's kind of easy. You just kind of got to persist through those no's and all of a sudden you get this win. And my boss walked away and it was like, okay, I can, I can do that. I can push through a little bit more. And then having you know, that, that fellow, that boss, he was just, he was the definition of resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he, I think he like got excited when people said something was impossible. He'd just be <laughs> like, nope, I'm going to prove it. And he, it, it, he was an engineering manager. He would try to design the most crazy contraption to go, see, I told you it was right. And he'd go, yeah, but it would cost a billion dollars. So yes, technically you're right, but it's still kind of impossible. But no, he wanted to prove it. I worked for that fellow for quite a while. And he, so I, yeah, I'd say I was taught because it, it, that's where I'd tie a lot back of just, just that straight resiliency as to what he came up with, this idea that, yep, you're going to solve the problem. Now, his, his is his engineering resiliency, which um, that any problem you can get through. It. And a lot of times there's the people side to it, of what's going to be done. But yeah, he would outwork any single person to get, to, to prove that it was possible. Um, we do, we'd get these jobs that would be nearly, the customer would come to us because it's impossible. He'd figure out a way to get it done. So it feels like it, a lot of where that shifted for you first came up in work. Cause it's interesting when you said you, you know, you weren't a very resilient teenager and then just sharing that story of your boss. And it makes me wonder, was there a particular inflection point for you? Um, that, that shifted from maybe not being a resilient teen to being more of a resilient, uh, adult or young adult? Uh, good question. And maybe there wasn't, but I was just curious, you know, cause you had differentiated between those two different, um, sort of time frames. No, there's a certain part, you know, I moved I moved out from Port Angeles to the Seattle side right after I graduated high school and I moved with these friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, we're gonna move to Seattle and you know, somehow try to find a job and do all this. And for some reason, I really didn't want to be, I didn't want to fail in doing that. Cause then everyone, Port Angeles, they call it this boomerang. Everyone moves out and everyone moves right back in. The cost of living so different. Everything's so different out here. Yeah. And I really didn't want to, to what I'd see as lose, right? I didn't want to have to, have to move back and it it really just becomes this financial problem that's what will cause me to have to move home is i'd have to move back in with my parents because i can't hack it over here um and so i i think there's there's something with that that was the inflection and it's not coming out in the most elegant way but it wasn't like i wouldn't have the family support to help me stay over there in fact a couple times when my mom would help make sure i could make rent Um, but i hit this point when it was like i just didn't want to even ask for help Mm -hmm. to try to uh to make it over here. I remember there was one time I, I couldn't pay my electrical bill. And again, I, I come from a pretty privileged background if you consider everything going on in the world right now. So I, I could have called, you know, the, the network of friends or, or family and said, Hey, I need $80 to pay the electrical bill. Right. Uh, but I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't not make it through that. And you could say there's a huge amount of uh, just pride that was unhealthy with it. But also this, we're just going to make through it. I can make it. I can get through this. I went home and then my electrical was turned off. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a cold. I can get through this. I can take a cold shower in the morning. Yeah. And I don't need electricity. We'll get through it. The next day's payday. I can make it through this thing. That idea, I can get through this. And yet, I'm, I'm still not sure looking back on it later in my life, if it was unhealthy to just not ask for help. Yeah, it would have been easy enough. And my wife tells me all the time, I need to do a better job with that. And I think I've gotten better, especially as you lead teams that you need to rely on each other to get to get better. But um, I think there there was something with that. There was this goal, don't move out, don't have to move back rather. What's that resiliency look like? I don't know if that answers the question. 
It does. I think what I was, what I was hearing, and again, you know, this is just my own reflection on what you've shared. Um, it's almost like this desire to not fail miserably, right? You needed to prove to yourself or possibly prove to others that you could do this, which, which might have been that tipping point for you or that inflection point. And I don't, I don't know if you agree with that, David, or not, but that's kind of what I was hearing and what you were talking about. Yeah, I have this, I, I hate losing. I hate losing <laughs> more than I like winning. Um, it, just, it just irritates me to no end to lose. And again, talk, you could talk about character flaws, but that, that's one of them there. And I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't like to be the, the center of attention with a win. So it's not like it's like, okay, I want to be able to tell everyone I won. It's, Half the time it's like, okay, we're just going to keep it quiet. Totally. I think, you know, we, you and I just graduated this MBA program together. And it's like, no one needs to know because I don't want this celebration. I just, right. Let's keep it all quiet. But personally, losing to myself, oh my gosh, that just drives me absolutely insane. Yeah. Like, okay, couldn't hack it. You couldn't make it. Oh, I don't know. That that to me is the, the letdown is if you, if you, if you personally, if you let yourself down, if you couldn't make it. Yeah. I sort of have this innate um, competition with myself or whatever the driver is, but a competition with myself to like, you can always do better and not failing to myself. And, and, you know, we both competed in the business competition and I didn't, I didn't necessarily care about winning the big prize for the recognition. It was more like, I got to figure out how to do this. And, you know, ultimately I didn't win and that's okay. Um, but it was such an experience because it really taught me a lot about myself and, and this whole, like uh, this competitive drive that I knew existed, but it certainly came out a little bit differently this time around. And, and it was almost, it was actually more humbling for me, quite frankly, because I realized, you know what, there are much better business plans that are being presented and that's okay. So it's a very, it was a weird sort of turning point for myself, um, especially considering how, how um, competitive I typically might be with myself. I love it. I love that. Yeah. Um, let's go back to uh, this concept of teaching people to be resilient. I think before we dive into that more, there's a question I also am really curious about and people's perspective on, and it's just, do you think that all people uh, innately have some form of resiliency that that then can be developed, or or do you think that it's learned through life experiences? Hmm. Is it is it a cop out to say a little bit of both? Nope. These answers are your answers, David. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little. I think that idea of the the life events shaping the resiliency is totally totally true. You know, you compare it to like a muscle, I, I would be the analogy I'd mm -hmm. use, right? It's that you've got a little bit of it. And if you get some, some, some work out of that resiliency, it's going to grow. You, you yeah. practice it, you get a little success out of it and it grows a little bit more. And on that same side, I think that if you practice it and it breaks, if it fails, if it, uh, you, you tear the muscle, then all of a sudden you, it, it, it sets you back. Mm -hmm. Cause I think there's some people that could be incredibly resilient. Um, and at the spot when they're building that resiliency, they hit a spot where it, it breaks them. Sounds too cliche, but maybe that's mm -hmm. the right way to say it. it. Just doesn't pass that elastic level mm -hmm. of um, of resiliency, and it permanently breaks it. Right? It's like um, taking a rubber band. You can keep stretching it, and it's going to hit a point when it just it's done. It breaks. It snaps. It's permanently deformed. And I think there's something true to that with resiliency. You know, if people go through 
um, events that just push them too far past that and it it sets them back and, and it can probably be built back up again but i think it is it's sort of like this muscle right if you practice it and you win and you get these you start to become more comfortable with it um there's that idea right that winning begets winning and losing begets losing if you practice it and you win then you want to do it a little bit more like look i can get through this i can get through this whereas if you don't and if you you practice it and you lose once it's like well that didn't work i'm not going to try that again and i i don't think it's something that can be taught in you know the classroom or that your your pop can say hey be resilient kiddo um because i think it's taught through experience and through a little bit of pain again i wish there was a better word but a little bit of that okay you got to try something where it's resilient which it requires encountering a challenge Mm -hmm. um my wife and i've got these two little boys um the oldest is you know two and a half and so we're we're obsessed with how are we going to raise him how are we going to not break him how are we going to actually have a good kid um which i think all parents just try to figure out what's the best way to raise their kids and and so we talk about this a lot. Um, her and I actually talk about delayed gratification quite a bit with them. I think that's a big, powerful thing for, for character development. But it's also with them that you know, we don't want to coddle him, coddle him and have him not have these environments that are going to make him tougher and stronger. But you also naturally want to protect him. And what's this balance like? And it's all good in theory. We're, okay, we're going to let him be tough. And then it's like, oh, we got to protect him. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. There's a balance with it. But I think we've he's got to go through stuff to you know, i think in another generation there's a toughen him up he's got to become a man he's got to you know, go through these things. i think it's getting to that same thing they've got to go through these these experiences to build that resiliency to um to get there and it's not getting building calluses right to go okay i'm just going to shrug things off but it's building this yeah, sense of resiliency that i can get through this i can succeed here you know it's tough but i can get through it Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, my son, he's 23 years old and certainly I like to joke that he is attempting to adult. Um, he, (laughs) he lives on his own. He's, uh, doing relatively well. He's unfortunately been impacted by COVID, but I do often uh, refer to him as a resilient individual and he's a scrappy guy. So he'll figure out, you know, how to continue to get a paycheck. But, but my, my approach with him as a kid I was always of the mindset that like you have to give kids opportunities to take risks so that they can learn from those risks. Because as parents, like for me, I knew he was going to do stuff that I didn't agree to or that I wasn't aligned with or that I myself think is wrong, but they're still going to do it regardless of if I tell him yes or no. So my approach was always like, how do I set him up in a way where he knows I don't agree with it? He understands the risks involved and he understands if there's impacts to him or, or, or his ability to hang out with friends, you know, i.e. grounding him, but, but really allowing him space to kind of take some of those risks and see what the outcomes are. Because I think that's what sort of shaped some of his, actually a lot of his emotional intelligence and a lot of where that scrappiness comes from and whether or not that's the right approach and whether or not that's actually true. Um, that's just been my experience and how I chose to raise my son. Cause I think people do learn more from life experience. And, and what's funny is you basically answered my next question was, can it be taught? Could resiliency or can resiliency be taught uh, by identifying certain attributes that someone should possess, you know, like, teaching someone how to be perseverant, perseverant or some other attribute. Uh, and it sounds like what I was hearing from you is, is, is more, you believe more so that resiliency is, is learned through life experiences or, or the process of possibly failing or succeeding from a life experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, 
it's through experience. It's through those learning opportunities. The chances to like try to figure out who they are in themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you try it. Okay, th- this is what worked. This is what it did. And it's just like, you know, kids would play with blocks. And okay, here's how the blocks work. And here's how you stack them. They learn how the world works. Yeah. Well, it's it, figuring out how they work. How do they respond to things? And and uh, it's sort of like, can can leadership be taught? Right. Well, yeah, you can, kind of, you can teach some of the basics, but you're going to learn most of it through doing. Yeah. Um, and try to set up environments for folks to to practice fail safely mm-hmm. and uh, and then to help them coach through that, right? Because if someone just fails, then, okay, maybe there's no lesson through it. They just failed. Well, who? But if you're able to to provide a safe environment for them, safe doesn't even have to be the word, but if you're in this, you can provide this opportunity where they're going to, they're going to try something, fails, and then you can talk with them through and they can synthesize that experience. It becomes a learning experience. Yep. And so that's, I think, taught, um, experiential, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was like nice tee up for my next question, David, around leadership um, and just this idea of can leadership be taught. Uh, I I'd love to hear from you. So just sort of shifting gears um, into more of that leadership and 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 some of how they sh- how values show up in leadership. Um, I'd just love to hear from your perspective. Like, how do you think values or resiliency show up in business? Ooh, in business. Yeah, I mean, I think entrepreneurs, most of them are the definition of resiliency. Mm-hmm. You get a couple out there, right, that are probably lucky. They tried something, it made money, and it went, or they, mm-hmm. they came money, and so they have these opportunities, and it just sort of naturally all fell together. But I think most of them, it's this idea that they they were resilient about solving some problem for somebody. They didn't go, oh, I had this great idea. They were the most ideas that it doesn't matter, it's only execution. Anyone can have an idea. Everyone sits around, you know, on their long drive and goes, "Oh, I have this million-dollar idea of how to do it," but it's never. It, and it, it probably is a million-dollar idea, but it's never going to make them a million dollars because they're not going to have the ability to. Eh, ability isn't right, the right word. They're not going to execute on it all the way through to see it successful. You know, most businesses. You just drive around and look at all these small businesses all over the place, and you're talking about the business plan competition. If they were to submit their business plan, they would just get flunked out of the competition. Yet they're probably more successful than 99% of people that would submit to a business plan competition because it's a business plan. Right. And so the folks can actually execute off of it um, are the ones that naturally create create these businesses. Um, and so I think it's absolutely tied to it. How, how, are, how are they resilient through things? COVID, perfect example. Mm-hmm. Our company is going to pivot through. Um, Steve Brooks, uh, he was in, uh, in our, our program at Seattle U. And I, I love his story with um, how they pivoted uh, during COVID. You know, they're building stuff and all of a sudden construction shut down. They said, well, we've got all these resources. Let's build hand washing stations. Mm. Perfect. Now they're doing that. They're keeping people that. employed yeah. and they're able to just jump into it. Mm-hmm. And so companies where they're like, well, my business plan says that I am someone who, you know, does maintenance on side of buildings. Well, I can't do that anymore. What am I going to do? Right? Well, no, there's a sense of resiliency to survive. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it allows you to pivot with changing market circumstances. It allows you to do, um, to, to get through things. Yeah. And then I, taking it a, a little bit uh, similar, but different direction. How do you think values and resiliency show up as, as leaders or in leadership? I, I love that idea that who you are as a person informs your leadership style. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no single leader like um, profile. Now there's hundreds and thousands and probably millions of different profiles of leaders, 
but they're all these different profiles. Some of them are these outgoing, gregarious people who build these great networks. And some people are these quiet, private individuals who, who plow through. There's all of these different recipes for success. It's just what is, what is your recipe? What is the recipe for the exact situation you're looking at? And so those values determine um, your leadership style. And I think there's a set of set of them that help guide you towards success. You can do it differently all over the place. But I think things like like resiliency factor and highly into being a successful leader. I think having an obsession with people factors in highly because that's that's what a leader is, right? If you if you're out there by yourself marching through the woods, okay, that's wonderful. You might be the greatest, but you're 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 not leading people. Leading and pl- being a leader implies people are following you. Um, and so you have to have whatever it is that, that brings people to want to follow you. And so I think a sense of resiliency, people people see that and want to go with it. And, and your resiliency lends that to others, right? Because they're, okay, we can get through this together. I, I think that's important there, which is probably an interesting topic, right? Does resiliency in, in what's a group resiliency look like versus yeah. individual resiliency? And how do those affect each other? But then that obsession with people, high integrity with it. Yeah, I, I I'm sort of in alignment with you where... Um, I've loved watching. So I know COVID is a really challenging time for, for all of us and for the, for the global economy and the national economy and all of these individuals who are unemployed. And we have the highest unemployment rate that we've had since the, you know, basically since the great depression and, and, and I, and I understand and I can acknowledge and empathize with everything going around. But, but one of the, um, bright spots that I've really appreciated and that I've tried to focus on with COVID is just all of the innovation. So back to that story you shared and just so many companies. So, you know, that organization who pivoted to create handwashing stations and so many organizations who their entire business model was turned upside down, you know, overnight. And they've, there's a lot of really cool, creative, new revenue streams and new business models that have come out of it. And and what I've loved seeing is not only that, but just this innate drive and desire to keep people employed and trying to pivot to meet the demands of where we're at today. Um, You know, I don't, I don't really think of this anymore as the new normal. I just think of it as the new. And so I've, I've loved watching people and organizations and leaders really pivot and some of that, some of what you, we've, we've talked about a little bit, but as a, as a class and just as peers, you know, how we show up in leaders during difficult times, that's what people are going to remember, right? They're not going to remember what we said to them. They're going to remember how we made them feel and, and how really that connection and acknowledgement of them and, and that feeling that we left on all of them. Um, and so I think, I think I've been, I've just been really impressed with that. And it's interesting that question around group resiliency versus an individual resiliency. And how is that either showing up today differently? Is it showing up differently? And is that really what's maybe possibly driving some of these businesses to be able to pivot so quickly? Then I don't know. I, I, I hadn't really thought of that. So I appreciate the question, David. You know, as you phrase it, I think in like, the the counterpoint to this resiliency, or especially as as it relates to COVID right now, is rigidity, mm. which isn't what I would typically think of as the opposite of resilience. Yeah. Resilience is this: I am strong, rigid, I can make it through this thing. But in the sense that right now, resiliency really requires this ability to to try different things and and navigate mm-hmm. these paths. And the companies that aren't 
that are failing right now or aren't succeeding or, or having the toughest time are these rigid companies. This is how we've always done it. This is my business market. This is my product. This, this, whatever it may be, the best companies are the ones that have been flexible and changing and constantly going. And so it's interesting that um, just the, the, the correlation there. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, uh, just, you know, taking it back to my curiosities around resiliency. Um, I wonder, David, do you think that there's a resiliency quotient or a certain values equation that makes individuals more resilient than others? Yeah, I think there's these, like, you could, you'd almost write out the math equation for it, right? I got to bring the engineer into it and say, like, you could have all these different little variables that you plug in and some of them have higher little leverages uh, than others and you, um, and you add it all up and it kind of, it helps. They all inform each other. Again, looking at resiliency as this outcome um, mm-hmm. that happens in the sense of your variables, this delayed gratification and integrity with yourself. Gosh, I think that's just so high up on there, right? Because if you don't have a high integrity with yourself, that sense of fidelity with yourself, you're going to constantly question, oh, that didn't work. Oh, okay, I can't do it, right? Whereas if you have this sense of self, a strong balance, center balance with it, you're going to have it's going to push that resiliency number way up. Mm-hmm. But also I think they all work together, right? So it's possible to be highly resilient and to be incredibly uh, inconfident at the same time because you could be higher up on these other variables. And just like yeah. it has different makeups, you can get to resiliency a lot of different ways, but it's it's made up of just these different values off. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been really interesting as I, you know, chat with, with other individuals and leaders and and peers of mine. And what, one of the other ones that often comes up is perseverance or tenacity. And, and I think how you framed it up was, was a growth mindset. And, and that's, that has been one of the values that has been really consistent throughout those that I've, I've interviewed thus far. So I think it's really interesting just to call that out. And, and, and just to kind of close on growth mindset, I, I, I tried to really high level summarize some of what you pointed out around growth mindset. Cause I think as leaders, it's important for us to, to all learn from each other and to be thinking about either different theories or different practices, because ultimately I think all of us have opportunities to learn from ourselves and have self-awareness. And, and I wrote down a few things that really stood out to me that you said related to growth mindset. And, and I'm just going to read them off. And I, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to see if I was missing anything. So I wrote down, you know, really leaning in as a manager, trusting and demonstrating that trust to your employees or your other leaders. I wrote down acknowledgement, you know, like acknowledge if something worked or if it didn't work and being able to pivot. And then the thing that I kept kind of going back to is just this idea of empowering those around you, right? Regardless if the outcome is is a win or lose, like still putting them in a position where you empower them and give them the autonomy. So I just, you know, did I miss anything there, David? Cause I, I love that idea. And I, as we've talked through this tonight, I just really appreciated how, how you have sort of summarized that. you got everything we talked about, but I'd add the lot. Yeah. I think the, one of the most important pieces in that recipe is talking about it, you know, which we're doing right now, but like you, yeah. you can't like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this guy and I'm going to help him become a more resilient leader. And we're going to, I'm going to change it for yeah. growth mindset and just do that in your head. And then like, think that you're working on this person and molding you into somebody. I think the best success yeah. I've had 
is talking with those leaders and saying, okay, listen, like this is the, this is how I think the world works, how gr- the growth mindset and uh, affects how you're going to lead your team, and here's how we can work on it. And just I love that study that they did with uh, with young kids, and they found that teaching them the difference between growth mindset and fixed mindset had the biggest impact in converting them to having a growth mindset. Just telling them mm-hmm. that it exists had this massive yeah. outsized impact on their trajectory. Interesting. I think one, what you're doing here, just just talking about it and spreading that is is massive. And that that's the last piece is advice for folks leading teams is to to share. The knowledge sets us free in so many ways, whether it's the data of how we perform or our, our mindset on how leadership works, it makes all of us better. That's great. I really, David, I've loved this conversation and you've really got my brain thinking. Uh really great dialogue tonight. I'm sort of sitting with this idea, which I hadn't thought of before, but, you know, does rigidity impede resiliency among a lot of other things that we talked about tonight, but so appreciate your time. And, and I love just your insights and have always been super impressed uh, with your thoughts and, and, and just your different, um, you know, knowledge that you bring. So thank you so much for your time tonight, David. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Ashley. I can't wait to see where the, the resiliency quotient idea goes, how it becomes formulated. It's, it's good work you're doing. Yeah, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited to see as well. Um, you know, it's all personal theory, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. And um, really, really, uh, again, just appreciate and um, thank you so much. I'm Ashley Carson. Thanks for listening to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. Our journey of learning and my quest to understand resiliency continues. Check out my blog at resiliencytheory.com to continue this conversation. Or if you want to listen to my next podcast, follow me there. If you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways. You can follow me on my Instagram page at resiliencytheory or my LinkedIn page at Ashley Smith Carson. You can also email me at hello at resiliencytheory.com.
I'm Ashley Carson. Thanks for listening to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. Our journey of learning and my quest to understand resiliency continues. Check out my blog at resiliencytheory.com to continue this conversation. Or if you want to listen to my next podcast, follow me there. If you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways. You can follow me on my Instagram page at Resiliency Theory or my LinkedIn page at Ashley Smith Carson. You can also email me at hello at resiliencytheory.com.